Good morning, church. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Everybody make resolutions? No. No. (laughs) That was quite affirmative. I'm like the old guy, he, or what was that joke? They, he was doing good on his resolutions, <laughs> asked for more patience and love and all those things, and then he got out of bed and he kind of lost it on January 1st. <laughs> but uh, we won't get into all that. But it's a new year, and uh, new years tend to cause us to maybe look back at the previous year and years and what we've been through and and learned and then maybe look forward. You know, we look back and see the water that's under the bridge. Some triumphs, some disappointments. Uh, and we look forward optimistically to brighter days ahead. And maybe we look ahead soberly with challenges that we know we face in the days ahead and hopefully we do so understanding and knowing that God has been with us in those days in the past we're not alone and we won't be alone in the days that are ahead of us this morning I want to be very simple I have no props uh It's just his word. We need to honor his word. And uh, I want to do that this morning. Uh, I want to tell a couple of familiar stories. You don't even have to open your Bible. You know them all. You know both of them. It's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And the story of him walking on the water. Y'all know those stories. And if you'll stay with me, I think I'll have something that might be beneficial for us as we begin this new year. You may wonder what in the world do those stories have to do with a new year. Let's see if we can tie it together. Jesus embarked on his life of ministry at the age of 30 with a divine assignment to go about his father's business. And initially, most of those accounts that we read of in the Bible are him with a minimal amount of people. He meets with Nicodemus, talks about being born again, and Nicodemus doesn't know what that means. How do I... At this age, enter again into my mother's womb. He meets with the woman at the well. She thinks she has water that he needs for life. And he tries to explain to her that he is the water of life. But as we come to Mark chapter 6. We see that he has built up a following. Word of mouth has gotten around. In Mark chapter 6, they call it a large crowd, it says. 
were gathered together. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And then because so many people were coming and going, they did not have a chance to eat. There's a lot of people there. It says that there were 5,000 men, not including women and children. That's the way they counted in those times. They counted households. Sorry, women didn't count. The kids didn't count. These were the number of heads, the men. Um, so we can assume that there are probably 10, 15,000 people there. You know, I don't know how many there were, but there would have been quite a few, a large crowd. They were gathered together to hear Jesus. And it's amazing to me that there were 10 or 15,000 people that gathered together to try to hear him speak. I would remind us that Jesus didn't have a business card. He didn't have the internet to draw a crowd. He didn't have the social networks he didn't have tv radio he didn't have a microphone trying to try to figure out how 15,000 people could even hear what he was saying they were gathered on the off chance that they could hear hear a word here or there to catch a word a phrase from him and they stayed to, to listen rather than leave when they were hungry. I don't preach that well. If I preach too long, you guys are going to leave. Okay? Such was his hold on them. It was, it was tremendous. They stayed to listen. The power of his word. And so his... Executive board saw the situation. The people were getting hungry. They were about to faint, it says. And so I don't know who got nominated to go tell, go talk to Jesus. Uh, I try to put myself in that situation, you know. How would you go interrupt him, you know, excuse me, excuse me. Lord, we got a, we got a problem you know, you're, you're doing great. This is, the teaching is outstanding. You know, this sermon series is great, even though you're doing it all in one sitting. You know, it's great. But you're long-winded. We got a problem. Okay? And we're fine. Me and the other, we're fine. We could listen here all night. We're not hungry. We're fine. But the people... They need some food. Would you let them go? Would you let them go? And he said, they need not depart. And then he asked them, what do you have? See, everything starts with what you have. You can't know what to do unless you know what you have. He says, what do you have? 
And that's where you start. And you know the story. There's a little boy that has a happy meal. Long John Silver's. Five hush puppies and two fish. Five loaves and two fishes he's got. I'm sure his mom packed his lunch. And it's funny that the blessing the people are going to receive came from an individual that didn't count. The little boy didn't even count in the 5,000. Yet he's the one that brought the blessing. How many times are we blessed by by someone? Uh, I, you know who I thought of just a few weeks ago? Logan was baptized. And he counts, okay, in this assembly. He counts. But what a blessing it was to me to witness that. To get a blessing from some, uh, just a little boy who kind of wants to not be in the limelight, right? We can be blessed by those who maybe society thinks don't count. We can be blessed by that. And then he commanded the disciples to organize the people into groups of 50. Think about that. 15,000 people. Let's get everybody organized in groups of 50. I try to organize 25 guys every morning to go to work. And that takes about 45 minutes. I can't imagine trying to organize 15,000 people into groups of 50 and all the chirping. I'm hungry. You got anything to eat? Went here. You know, what? It would be, it would take a while to get the groups together where they need to be. Why did he do that? I think he did it because to receive a blessing, I think you need to be kind of organized, structured to receive a blessing. You need to to be able to accept the blessing in an orderly way. And that's what they did. They organized into groups of 50. Then it says when they were all seated, that's when the miracle begins. And it says Jesus took the five loaves and two fishes and he looked up into heaven and he gave thanks. Let's be clear. What he lifted up in thanks were five loaves and two fishes. There wasn't enough there yet to feed them all. What he gave thanks for was not enough. Think about that. Have you ever given thanks for not enough? We pray to God. Help me. I I don't have enough of this. Give me more of this. Give me more of this. Give me more patience. Give me my health. Give me this. Give me that. Do we ever give thanks for not enough? It's not enough. 
Lord, I know this is not the life I wanted to live, but I'm thankful for it. This is not the marriage I thought I would be in, but I'm thankful for it. This is not the health that I want, but I'm thankful for the health that I have. Do we ever give thanks for not enough? That's what he did. He gave thanks for not enough. And so in those areas of life that we're lacking, but before we ask him for more, let's give thanks for what we do have. Let's give thanks for what is. Can we do that? Before we ask for this and this and this, and let's give thanks for what he's already done. And I believe if we can do that, then we're ready to receive more. We're ready to receive more. So he gave thanks. And then it says he broke it. I think in Scripture there's, there's a connection with the breaking and the blessing. He broke it. And then the miracle occurred. We just remembered the broken body of Jesus. Did that give us any blessing? My question is, has anybody here ever been broken? Have you ever gone through some stuff? Can we say it that way? Stuff that will break you, put you on your knees. And have you ever done that and come through on the other side feeling blessed? I have. I don't think I'm alone in here. I won't ask for hands. But there's a connection between the breaking and the blessing. And I've noticed... That some of the people that I know that feel the, that I see that feel the most blessed in their life have gone through some stuff and been broken. You know, we have to, to accept Jesus, be willing to be broken, be, to die to self. To attain the new life in the spirit. To be broken. There are blessings that flow from being broken. And I'm thankful for the breakings in my life. Have you ever heard somebody say? You hear them say it. Man, I wouldn't want to go through that again. But I'm thankful I went through it. It has built me up. To go through what I went through. I, I, I wouldn't want anybody else to go through it. But I went through it. And I came out the other side. And I feel blessed. Because I did. There is a connection between the breaking. And the blessing. He gave thanks. He broke the bread. And then he gave it to his disciples. 
to distribute to the people. This method is still used today. We are Northland Mission Church. Whose mission? Not my mission. It's not y'all's mission. It's the Lord's mission. Right? So, he... It's his mission to reach people in other countries. It's his mission to feed those in this city. It's his mission to minister to unwed moms. It's his mission. How does he accomplish his mission? Through his disciples. That's us. He still uses this method today. To distribute his blessing. There are a lot of people blessed. Because of the people here. That's his way of doing things. It was that way then. It's that way now. He gave thanks. He broke it. And they distributed it. And they ate. And it's interesting. He could have stopped the miracle when all of them were fed. God doesn't make mistakes, right? He could have stopped when the last person ate the last little bite. But he had more. He had more. And it's powerful to consider... It is powerful to consider 10, 15,000 people being fed with five loaves and two fishes. But the exclamation point on the whole deal is what was left over. God's a real good chef. You know, my wife watches those cooking shows. You know, a real chef, if you tell him how many people... Or him or her, how many people, they can cook the meal and come out with everybody with just enough. Not have all the leftovers. My Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner were not like that. You sit down and you say, who else is coming? I mean, you know before you start there's going to be leftovers. You know, mom and grandma, they overcook, right? It's different. He's the God who chose to have overflow of blessing. He's the God who chose to have more than enough. His name, El Shaddai, Means the God of more than enough. How does the God of El Shaddai. How does the God of more than enough. Just fix enough. He can't. He's the God of more than enough. He's the God of more than enough. David said my cup runneth over. You know a waitress fills the. Water or tea glass. In proportion to what the glass can accept. Unless they're blind. 
right? He'll only, they'll only pour enough to fill the cup. God doesn't bless us in proportion to what we can accept. He's the God of more than enough. He gives us more blessing than we need. He gives us more blessing than we need. He's the God of overflow. And we have that overflow which allows us to then bless others. Let the overflow touch them. So when everyone was fed, they were about to leave, Jesus told them, gather the pieces that are left over. All four, I mean, this is one of the only, or one of the few stories that are repeated in all four Gospels. In all of them, they gathered the leftovers. And it's very precise what was left over. It was 12 baskets full. That's overcooking. That's overcooking. He could have come out just right, but he wanted to be the God of more than enough. Why collect all the leftovers? Why collect them? We don't really... We'll get on to it in in just a few minutes, but... Is it for them to eat in the days ahead? It never really talks about them eating these leftovers. But immediately after this miracle... They separate. Jesus goes up to the mountain and the disciples get in the boat to cross the lake of Genezareth or Sea of Galilee. Why did he tell them to gather up the scraps? I'll get to that in a minute. But I believe, it doesn't say it, none of the versions say it, but I believe, and I could be wrong, I believe they put some of the baskets, maybe all of them, in the boat with them. Let's see. Maybe they didn't. So they immediately got in the boat. They went across the sea. Jesus went up to the mountain to pray. And I think Jesus kind of probably said something like, Lord, God, I think we've done it now. I think we've set it off. See, this was the biggest crowd he'd ever been with, I believe. And now every one of those people, all 15,000 of them, Had a miracle in their stomach. Had a miracle in their belly. Heading out into the streets. You won't believe what happened at church today. You wouldn't believe it if I told you. And the word spread like crazy. The word spread like crazy. And Jesus, I think, knew that there would be a rebound... You know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. 
You know, if I press down on here, actually the table's pressing up on my hand. There's an equal and opposite reaction. When he had the blessing, he blessed all those people. There was going to be a rebound effect on Jesus. And we know what happened. They came after him. When the word spread and the word got out, he was bracing for that. Jesus is on the mountain. And it says it's late in the fourth watch. And that means it's about 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock in the morning. It's dark. It's dark. And the disciples, it says, are in the boat halfway across the lake. And it says he saw them straining their oars with the wind. I want to praise God here. Sometimes we say God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful, omnipresent. He's everywhere. But I want to praise him for his omniscience. Omni all science, science, all-knowing. He's all-knowing. I'm going to praise God that he's all-knowing. He knows. He, he knows. He's here. He's on the mountain. They're out there, but he knows they're in trouble. And I want us to know this morning that he knows. He knows about you. He knows about you. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're going through. Praise God. He knows. He knows what you're going through. You may think you got to drop on your knees and tell him. I'm telling you, he knows. Already. He knows. He knows where you are. He knows what's going on around you, what storm you're heading through, how you're dealing with, when you've had enough. And so in the story, we have a crisis because they're out in the middle of the sea and Jesus is on the mountain. The trouble's here and the power is here. And Jesus has to bridge that gap. You know, there's darkness. It's three to six in the morning, there's danger, and there's distance. There's three things he's got to get through here. But when God gets ready to come to your rescue, it doesn't matter. He doesn't need another boat, does he? He walks on top of what's about to drown you. He doesn't have to go through it. He walks on top of it. He walks on top of it. This is my God. This is your God we're talking about. He's a water walking God. Jesus. Again, he walks on what's going to take us under through the darkness, through the danger, through the distance. Here comes Jesus. 
And it says that he was about to pass by. I thought he'd just walk right to him. But it says he's going to kind of go by. Thing is, they didn't even recognize him. They thought he was a ghost. They thought he was a ghost. And you think, you can be unkind to them for not recognizing him, but... You know, this is the same sea that, you know, all the pigs that were, you know, you know, the devil was in them. They went into that sea. You know, if I'd seen that and saw something I didn't know, I might think, what's going on? This this sea's kind of spooky. Okay. They didn't know him. But then he spoke to them. He said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. They didn't recognize his face. They didn't recognize his walk. They didn't recognize anything. But they recognized his voice. They recognized his voice. He says, my sheep know my voice. And a stranger they will not follow. They recognized his voice. And when he said, take courage, be of good cheer, it is I. They said, that's Jesus. Hey guys, that's, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. I can't see him, but that's him. I know that's him. I recognize his voice. See, we don't walk by sight, do we? We walk by faith. We know Jesus is with us. Maybe we can't see him, but we know he's with us. And so he gets on the boat. And he didn't rebuke the winds. He gets on the boat and the winds step back. Wait a minute. The winds just step back? Really? Was this even a storm? Was this real? He didn't rebuke them. When he stepped on the boats, the wind stepped back. You know, sometimes the trouble that comes in our life, it's not meant to overwhelm us. But to teach us something about Jesus. In a new and fresh way. I think it was a test. It was a test. Why do I say that? Because when he got on the boat. He wasn't disappointed. He wasn't disappointed that they were afraid. He wasn't disappointed. You know upset about the storm. Or anything like that. He was upset because it says. Their hearts were hardened. They did not consider the miracle of the loaves. They did not consider the miracle of the loaves. I don't think the 12 baskets were for the next meal. I think the 12 baskets were there as a trophy for what God had done 
for something they could look at and know what God had done for them. I think it was in the boat. I can't prove that. I think there was a basket or two or 12 in the boat. And when he said, when, when they said, you did not consider the loaves, maybe he even pointed toward the baskets. Maybe he even pointed toward them. God didn't intend for us to go through things and get nothing out of it. What he intended was that every time we go through something, that we come out of it with something to put in our boat. We go through something and we put it in our boat. And so we're... Oh, trouble ahead. If God did that for me, he can get me through this. Put it on our boat. It took me a while to get to the point. I hope you stayed with me. What do we have in our boat? We're entering a new year. What have we been through that we can put in our boat to always remind us that God is there and that we can have him with us to get us through the next thing. What do we have? He didn't put us through all these things just to put us through it. We got to get something out of it. What do you have in your boat? What do we have in our boat? Have we learned anything about God? Have we been through anything? Anybody here been through anything? I think so. Did he make a way for you? Sometime in your life? You got that in your boat? Did he deliver you through a storm in your life? I think the answer is yes. Let's sear that in our minds. Let's put it in our boat so that as we face the future, we got something to remind us always that he's with us. Lessons yours.